This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Lake of Blood. Natisa, the Punya messenger, had been to Tarzan's seacoast cabin. He had looked for the lord of the jungle in the ape country... He had searched the rolling hills where the elephants made their home. But nowhere was Tarzan to be found. Now, near exhaustion, he climbed the steep slopes of Mount Kaitinko, calling Tarzan's name, hoping that some miracle might carry his voice to the only man who could help in this time of great trouble and sorrow. Tarzan! Tarzan! It's Tarzan! 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 Natisa! Natisa, what are you doing in this part of the jungle? Natisa, hunt Tarzan. All over he look. Well, what is wrong? Why do you search for me? Toggle! Toggle! Something is wrong with my small friend? He's sick? Not sick. He's lost. Lost? Two days ago, many cranes fly over Punya village. Yes? Togo asked Mamandaganya where they go. She not know. He asked chief warriors of tribe. Their answer's not clear enough for Togo. Go on, go on. We not sure what happened. But after second flock cranes pass over village, Togo gone. We look, not find anywhere. Oh, it's his everlasting curiosity. He followed the migration of the cranes, huh? What kind were they? Kind? Uh, Ghani. Were they the common type, the wattle crane or the crown variety? Uh, uh, common. Oh, they winter in the northern regions. Well, it's in that direction that we must travel. We find Togo? If the beasts of the jungle have not found him before us... Torgo had already been away from home for two days. The chances of finding him alive were slim. But Tarzan would not rest until he had either found the native boy or learned his fate. Tarzan's first inclination was to leave the exhausted Natisa, take to the upper level, and speed to the northern country as quickly as he could. But reason prevailed upon him to adjust his speed to that of Natisa. Once the winter home of the cranes was reached, two men could circle the district more easily than one. 
I think we're getting to the edge of the crane country, Nadisa. Maybe Torgo lose trail of crane, though. Maybe he not here. Yes, but you and the Punya warriors searched almost everywhere else. It's our only hope. It's call of crane. Yes. And look, on the ground beneath that wild pineapple tree. It's small bull of Torgo. He's been here. And not too long ago for no leaves covering. Torgo! Torgo! He not answer. Adisa, we'll take an area of a mile the first time. You circle to the west from here, and I'll circle to the east. We'll meet back here. If we're not successful, and then we'll mark out another circle. Now, don't forget, just a mile. Go no further, and then... Adisa, why aren't you starting? Matisa, not go west from here. It's Mugilo. Taboo? I know of no taboos in this district. West here is Kiwanavisi. The Lake of Blood? Never heard of such a lake. Tarzan not know this land. All near here, no Kiwanavisi. Natisa, not go west. All right, you circle east. I shall travel west. West is Kiwanavisi. It's home evil demons. Shore washed with dead butterflies. Fish not live in water. No man ever come back from water that is red. A Kiwanavisi, much Mugilo. Oh, taboos and lakes of blood. Sometimes my native brothers make me angry. Torgo's life is at stake. I shall waste no further time with your superstitions. Tarzan is not afraid of the lake of blood. In just a moment, we shall return to our exciting story. Hour followed hour, and although Tarzan and Atisa covered a wide area, in circles of ever-increasing circumference, they found no further trace of the native boy Tarzan loved almost like a son. Now Tarzan and Atisa had met again, and they moved together through the tangled jungle, their hearts heavy with sorrow. There's no use. Torgo not here. If only the wind would stir, I, I might catch his scent. Air still like death. I've called his name till my throat aches. If he were alive and had heard me, he would have answered. Maybe Tarzan should make cry of bull ape. Travels many miles. Yes, that's true. My call can be heard far beyond the reaches of my normal voice. Well, it's worth a try. Is no answer. I think I heard a faint voice. Matisa not hear anything? I did not hear much, Natisa, but I could swear I heard something. From where? From the district that you consider taboo. Are you coming with me, Natisa? Nadia, Natisa, come part way with you, but no go near Lake of Blood. At least you're alive. Oh, he's caught in strong trap. I'll force the jaws of the trap open, Atisa, and you pull him out. Gently. Torgo, hungry. Thirsty. And you have a bad bruise on that leg. He's from Atigo. Leg hurt. Oh, the leg does need attention. You need food and water. Natisa, is there a native village near here? Village of Yaluma. People near here. Is maybe ten miles. Ten miles? Nearer is trading post of white man, old Buana Morgan. Morgan? Yes, yes, I've heard good things of him. His place close by. Well, then we'll go there. 
I would hunt for food, but I haven't seen a track or caught the scent of an animal for many hours. No animals here. Two days to go in trap. Not here or see any animals. No animals. That's most strange. Land Mugilo. Even for animals. Cause lake of blood. I want you to say no more about that. Particularly in front of Torco. I won't have you filling his head with your superstitions. Matisse right. Animals not here because Mugilo. It's too bad the land is not also taboo to the birds. Did you find the cranes you followed? The deal, Torgo see cranes, other large birds. But now Torgo's sorry he followed Yes, you're sorry at the moment because you're hungry and sore. Torgo, someday your curiosity is going to get you into real trouble. Ahead is store of Buono Morga. A store? Selling more than an old thatched hut. His store and home of old man. He friend to natives. Yeah, Tisa, you, you carry Torgo for a minute. Even with friends, it's well to be on guard. Wait here. Not worry about old Buono Morga. Well, well, a visitor. A customer, perhaps. I'm afraid we're not customers. We come seeking help. Well, if you need help, old Chris Morgan's your man. Forty years I've spent right in this same tiny patch of ground, and I've never denied anyone help yet. People do speak well of you, Mr. Morgan. Old Chris Morgan's a friend to all. Black and white, rich and poor. Good, because that small boy over there has an injured leg and an empty stomach. Well, why didn't you say so right away? Bring the boy inside. Put him on my cot. I'll go in the back and rustle some grub and find some bandages. Just to make yourselves at home. May I help you? No, no, I'm a fussy old bachelor. Won't let anyone in my kitchen. <laughs> Natisa, bring Torgo over here. Carry him inside? Please. Mr. Morgan said to place him on his cot. Torgo, hungry! You'll have some food in just a minute now. Buona Morgan make food. He's good man, Tarzan. No? He is most kind. Tell me, Natisa, how can he make a living in this deserted spot? Many tribes come here, trade hides, ivory, other things with Buona Morgan. He goes city once a year, sells hides, ivory, bring back things a native's need. It sounds like a scant livelihood. He sells much salt. Fargo hungry! <laughs> I think I hear your supper approaching now. Here you are, Sadie. Some nice broth, some smoked meat, and some tin biscuits. <laughs> that ought to hold you for a bit. I think it will. Torgo, what are your manners? Santa Buona Morgan. That's better. <laughs> I'll see if I can dig up some antiseptic and bandages to fix up that leg, and then I'll rush a little grub for the rest of us. Oh, no, Natisa and I can fend for our own food. We would not deprive you of your stores. Nonsense. I'm glad to have company. Never did like eating alone. Oh, pardon me a minute. Well, well, this is my old friend from the Yaluma tribe. Who inside? Oh, just a young native boy who's been hurt and a couple of men who brought him. Come in, come in. I, I'm afraid I didn't ask your names. I am Tarzan. This is Natisa. The boy is Torgo. They are of the Punya tribe. Oh, the Punyas, eh? Well, meet uh, Kalosu. He is the chief of the Yalumas, and he and his brothers have come to do business with me. Not talk business in front of strangers. Who are you? I have just told you our names. Why you come our country? I do not like your unfriendly attitude, Kalosu. I feel no need to tell you why we've come here. Now, just a minute, folks. Just a minute. There's no sense in having hard feelings. Sit down, Kalusu. I'm just going to bring out a little smoked meat. Maybe Kalusu we... not break bread with strangers. Me go now. Come back other time. No, we will leave. 
Mr. Morgan, you have been kind to us, and I will not remain here and spoil your chances of conducting business. Nonsense. Kalushu, these are my friends. If you can't be civil to them, be on your way. Me be on way. But they be sorry come to land of Kiwanavisi. Lake of blood not like strangers. And this land of Kiwanavisi. Despite the warning of Caluso, the past few days have passed quite uneventfully. Mm. This is a peaceful land for the most part. And so far as the legend of the Lake of Blood goes, well, I don't know. The best thing to do is just steer clear the district and let well enough alone. No, Tiso, steer clear. We go home now, Tarzan. Torgo's leg better. Is the herd all gone, Torgo? All gone. Torgo's strong now. Can hunt elephants and hip... 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 Elephants and hippos. <laughs> Good. Natisa, I'm sure I can trust you to deliver Torgo safely to Mama Nagama. Where you go? I've got to know more about this fabled lake of blood. No, no. Tarzan not go near Kliwanavisi. I wouldn't advise mixing in that, Tarzan. It's land of demons. Well, there is something strange about a land where animals will not travel and water where fish will not swim, but I do not believe in demons. It's many demons. Bad demons come at night. Kill those who see not believe in demons. Torgo, I'm ashamed of you. After all the time I've spent teaching you the ways of the jungle, in the ways of civilization. My words have been wasted. You might just as well be as stupid as a savage without one speck of schooling. But Tarzan, everyone knows demons. I say there are no demons. They live only in the superstition of your people. They bring fear, and fear leads a people to unhappiness and destruction. Makes them a prey to all those who wave a big stick. It's fear that permits bullies to rule countries. Torgo, I will not have you believe in demons. But Torgo cannot help. He knows our demons. Natisa, you will return to the land of the Punyas so that Mama Nagama will know that Torgo is all right, that he's with Tarzan. Torgo and I are going to disprove the demons that rule Kiwanavisi. We shall go to the lake. You mean and... you'd take the boy into that district from which no one has returned? No, Tarzan, not go. Not take Torgo. We shall return. Will you go by my side, Torgo? Torgo, go anywhere Tarzan says. Good. Tarzan, I understand your motive. But I think you're making a bad mistake. Perhaps a fatal one. In just a moment, the exciting conclusion of our story. Behold my precious. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh? It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it? You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Ah! 
From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. That night, Natisa left for the Punya country. Mama Nagama would be told that Torgo was safe for the moment. And the next morning, Tarzan, the small native boy, headed for the land of the Blood Red Lake, a small body of water where no living thing could subsist. And yet the bright rays of the sun filtering down through the overhead jungle growth seemed to belie the sinister legend of the district. You see, Torgo? This land is no different from your own. We near lake? I've never been to it, so I'm not sure, but I... Why we stop? I heard the snapping of a twig far off. Is animal or man? I've caught no scent yet. Oh, we shall see. We grab vines, bring to upper level? Perhaps. Let's be still just a moment. The sound was caused by men, several of them, and they follow us. All right, Torgo, jump onto my back and hold tightly. We'll swing up into the trees. They're holding tight. Much tight. Torgo's strong. Ah. Boss! Why we stop? Tracks of white jungle man and boy end here. Where they go? Kalusu not know, but we find. Kalusu tell them leave land of Kiwanavisi. Must find. They use trick so not leave trail. We find. They not grow wings and fly. <laughs> that sound like boy. His laugh of boy came from tree. Yes. It came from the tree. Draw your weapons from your hands. If one of you makes a move, I shall run my knife through you. We not move. You can come down from the tree now, Togo. Hardly win fights and many bad men? Yes, only these are not ordinary men, Torgo. These are the demons of the lake. No, no, we not demons. We men of Yaluma tribe. Yes, I know. And you are its chief, a chief who guards his land so jealously he tries to scare strangers away. When they refuse to be frightened, he stalks them as though they were animals to furnish food. Now the mystery of your lake is quite clear. It contains gold, and you have built up this legend to protect it. No, quiet. Let me tell. Tarzan, believe, Kalusu. We follow you to stop before you reach Kiwanavisi. Already too many die at hand, evil spirit. His back mark on people of Yaluma. This their land, not land of death, until time of Kalusu's father. Now is land of demons. Only want to warn you, so you leave with life. Perhaps I have misjudged you. I shall withhold judgment until I've seen this lake for myself. Where is it? Beyond big rock you see from here. North from there to trail white rocks, then over small ridge. But please, Tarzan, not go. You need have no worry on my account, Kalusu. Torgo and I shall return. We shall meet you and tell you what we've found at the trading post of old Chris Morgan. We will be there before Cuda the sun climbs into heaven again. Now Tarzan knew the exact location of the lake. Torgo and he pressed on through the lush foliage that sheltered not even a single animal. Along the trail that was marked by the white rocks, up the side of the small ridge that the native chieftain had described. And when they had reached the top of the ridge, they stopped abruptly, and their jaws hung loose in wonderment. It is red. 
The lake is the color of blood. And like they say, has many dead butterflies, insects floating at edge. Come, let's go down to the edge of the lake and find out more about it. Oh, watch out for the loose rocks. They're big rocks, all painted white. Well, they're not painted white, and yet it's hard to explain their white coating. It's a funny place. The strangest place in the entire jungle, I think. Like a giant inkwell hollowed out of the rocks in a well filled with red ink. Is ink? No, it's not ink. Talk over, we'll see what it is now. Tarzan, you go into late? I'm just waiting in a step or two. Now, look at this, Torgo. You see the water I've scooped up in my hands? It's not red. It's not even slightly pink. Watch now. Tarzan holds slimy mud. He's red. <laughs> very red and very slimy. Some of it you'll see floating on top of the water, and the rest of it floats just under the surface. What is? Well, it's a little hard to explain. Scientists call it viscous manner, and although it looks like congealed blood, it's not. It's quite harmless. But that answers only the question of the lake's color. Wait, uh... Tarzan, what makes lakes smell like sea? This. It's almost pure crystallized salt. And the lake itself is of strong salt brine, so strong that even fish cannot live in it, nor butterflies and insects hover over its surface. What of animals? They like salt. Yes, they do. So we have other questions to answer yet. Torgo, watch out! You drop! Did you kill? Our only hope is in the lake. Hold your breath, Torgo! That was a narrow escape. I go wet and sticky. Swallow some strong salt water. What well, hurt you, any? Those rocks might have. What make rocks fall? I saw no one. The strong odor of the brine prevented me from catching a scent, but I think we're getting closer to the solution of our mystery, Togo. Climb on my back. We, we must move quickly now. A smaller geocooler. Yes, I see the path. I think I know where it leads. It's moving the lion. Is dead? Very dead. Yet there are no signs of a bullet wound or the mark of an arrow. Look, ants dead too. They came to feed on the carcass of Numa, and the poison that killed him also killed them. No creature has been too small or too unimportant to escape the villainy of him who controls the lake of blood. Near store old Chris Morgan. Yes. Togo, I'm proud of you. You're becoming very observant. As you know by now, this this can mean the difference between life and death in the jungle. Torgo observed something else. Kanzarinia and clearing. Yes, a large kettle. Far too large for ordinary cooking. Torgo, we're within earshot of the trading post now, and although I hardly think we're expected, it would be wise to hold our tongues and move quietly. Torgo, quiet as land of the mosquito. Good. We'll walk over to the window of the trading post. You know your old friend Chris Morgan wouldn't take advantage of you, Calusu. We bring many hides this time. <laughs> All right, Calusu. I'll throw in an extra sack of salt. Good. Old Chris Morgan, fine friend, black man. Yeah, I try to be. Are the rest of you happy with the way I've treated you? Make good trade. Well, that's good. I'll help you pack up the bags of salt, and then I'll... I'll not conclude your business arrangement, uh, Mr. Morgan, yet, Calusu. Tarzan. I thought... That... You thought Torgo and I had been killed by the avalanche you started. Tarzan wrong. Old Chris Morgan, good man. He not try kill Tarzan and small boy. Why, of course not. It's ridiculous. Tell me one thing, Kalusu. Where does Mr. Morgan get all the salt he trades to you for the valuable skins of animals? Me not know. Bring from city? 
Could he transport hundreds and hundreds of pounds of salt on his yearly trip? No. The salt is distilled in the large kettle he keeps in the clearing behind his store. The brine comes from the lake of blood. What are you talking about? From lake? For over 40 years, he has preyed on your superstition. That's a lot of nonsense. The natural color of the lake helped. The ghostly effect of the salt-whitened rocks about it. The fact that the strong brine killed fish and, and butterflies. Don't believe in me. It's a lie. Oh, he, he helped make you think the place was taboo. By poisoning all living things who entered the district. So, many things clear now. Unfortunately... None of you will live to spread this story. Look out! We hold Chris Morgan, Tarzan. You hurt, Tarzan? No, it's just a a surface scratch, Targo, but had it been a fraction of an inch closer. Yeah, for over 40 years I've I've gotten away with this, Tarzan. If you hadn't come along, I... If I hadn't come along, you would have continued to kill all who trespassed upon your land. Yeah. But now the natives will have the salt they need. And that nature has provided them. Uh, Morgan, we kill you. No, 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 don't kill me. Stop! You will not take the law into your own hands. I will take him to the authorities. Tarzan, bleed bad. (laughs) Don't worry about me, Togo. I'm quite all right. And I'm happy that we have solved the riddle of Kiwanabisi. Tarzan, someday curiosity gets you in real trouble. In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting episode of Tarzan. Missionaries have tried to bring light to the dark continent. But just when we begin to believe the jungle people have changed, we hear the voodoo drums and the incantations of the witch men. We see a pin stuck through a voodoo figure, and we recognize it as the sign of death. For pagan savagery still exists, and Congo magic still casts its spell. Tarzan, the creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced and transcribed by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time. Transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Congo magic. (laughs) 
The city of Port Zarota, deep in the Congo, is neither a port nor a city. But such are the strange contradictions of the jungle. The huddled settlement stands at the delta of a river that has long since dried up. And the pygmies and the storkmen who live but a few days' march from Port Zarota refer to it as the city. Actually, it is nothing more than a miserable collection of thatched native huts, sun-whitened government buildings, shabby barracks, and crumbled dwellings. And yet the native authority court convenes there. And it was to this court that Tarzan had come three days before. Well, Captain Lawrence, I'm certainly glad that my duties in court are over. Oh, yes, Tarzan. Court appearances are always tedious. But old Chris Morgan never would have been convicted without your testimony. Convicted? That's a horrible word. Oh, he had it coming to him, all right. Oh, yes, of course, but to be confined within the walls of a prison. <laughs> Even the confines of a city like this one are intolerable to me. Yes, I know. I know you were your field jungle in the morning, I suppose. Uh, tonight, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll pick up my few belongings at your quarters, Captain Lawrence, and then I'll head for the coast. Well, you'll be making an awful liar of me. What? <laughs> I promised the men at the club that I'd bring you around before you shoved off. Oh, you're most kind, Captain Lawrence, but I have no time for clubs and social gatherings. Oh, but they've had so much of your activities and your remarkable life in the jungle, and all of them are at the club now, just standing around waiting for us. With a gin and tonic in each hand, huh? Honestly, Captain Lawrence, I think you English would find a place for a club and a bar in the middle of an erupting volcano. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. Well, if uh, you've said I'd come, I shall not make a liar out of you. Well, where is this club? Well, it just so happens that our path has accidentally brought us right to it. It's that uh, largish building on the corner. That building? Yes. I thought that the office of the Governor General. It's most imposing. Oh, for these parts, yes. But I, I can't very well go in there dressed in this leopard skin. <laughs> Looks like a club in London's Mayfair. I have it. We'll sneak in the rear entrance, and I'll give you some clothes to wear. I just thought of an outfit that'll fit you as though you had it made in Seville Row. Now, let's have no more arguments, Tarzan. You look perfect in the outfit. With black trousers and a white jacket. <laughs> I feel as though I should be the club steward. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, they were made for the club steward. A chap I persuaded to come over here. He was a huge man who worked for me at home, but he was drunk when he got off the boat at Mombasa, and I never did manage to sober him up. Oh, what did you do? Well, I gave him his passage money home. Finally lined up another man. A dwarf, a sort of misfit. This a cracking job. Good bartender, excellent servant. You'll get a boot out of Shorty. <laughs> you don't suppose you'll resent my wearing the uniform of his trade, do you? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. He's very proud of the livery we finally got for him. As a matter of fact, it's the same as you're wearing. Only about 20 sizes smaller. Come on, Tarzan. We can slip into the bar through this door. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, Doric. That's quite a funny story. Oh, I, I say, here's Captain Lawrence and his guest. Good evening, gentlemen. I'd like you to meet Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan, uh, Mr. Bainbridge, Major Stanton, uh, Lord Essex, Mr. Mooney, and Mr. Richardson. How do you do? <laughs> so this is Tarzan, eh? <laughs> Looks more like an outsized bartender to me. That isn't very funny, Mr. Mooney. Just hadn't said Tarzan had no fitting clothes with him. No. I fixed him up with this outfit we ordered for that chap who didn't pan out. I apologize for not being properly garbed for your splendid club. Oh. <laughs> not at all, not at all. It, it should make quite a story. Mm. Uh, Tarzan ordered the jungle dressed like a flunky. Yes, sir, <laughs> no, no, it's all right, Captain Lawrence. It's all right. Well, I say, Shorty, could we have some drinks? Be right. 
With you, Captain. Uh, yeah, climb up on that egg crate and mix us some gin and tonic, Shorty, and uh, bring them over to our table over here. Yeah, I'll fetch them. <laughs> you do nothing of the sort, Lawrence. We're entitled to a steward who can serve our drinks just because you hired half a man. <laughs> I'm bringing you drinks, gentlemen. Mooney, I'll stem for no more. Oh, no. no. <laughs> it was just a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's what life's for, jokes. <laughs> At least I've got to admit that Shorty's good for a few laughs. <laughs> You know, whenever I see him running on those little batty legs... Doesn't he resent being called Shorty? <laughs> Hasn't he a regular name? Shh, he's coming with your drink now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dropping tires and drink and sprouting all over the floor. <laughs> Terribly. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I, uh, I must have tripped. Uh, yeah, you tripped all right. You stuck your foot directly in his path, Mooney. <laughs> Yeah, so what, huh? Someone should teach you manners. Huh? Well, you aren't the one that's going to do it. You're nothing but a stupid savage. In just a moment, we should return to our story of Congo magic. For a moment, Tarzan had been blinded with rage, furious at the lavish Mooney for having picked on the defenseless dwarf. But the warning voice of Captain Lawrence had penetrated Tarzan's rage, and he had permitted Mooney to drop from his powerful hands before murder had been committed. Actually, the only serious injury was that inflicted upon Mooney's pride. It had resulted in Tarzan's detention in Port Zarota. Couldn't sleep, eh, Tarzan? I've always had difficulty sleeping indoors. Mm. How much longer must I remain here in your club, Captain Lawrence? I don't know. Mooney's charged you with assault as a result of last night's little skirmish. You must remain either here or in that infested jail until the case has been heard. I appreciate your having arranged for me to be kept prisoner here rather than in the jail, but I still find it unbearable. The whole city is laughing at the picture of Tarzan wearing a steward's uniform and remaining within the confines of a building. Oh, I don't think they're laughing at you. The natives always peer in our windows here. You know, there, there must have been a dozen pygmies gathered out front this afternoon. I, I understand little of their dialect, but they kept pointing at me and making sounds of derision. No, it's just the other way, you know. In the past, they've gotten on poor Shorty's nerves, too. Yeah, so I guess it is my nerves. I suppose it's because I'm ashamed of myself for having lost my head. Oh, I wouldn't be too concerned with what you did to Mooney. There's no more than the rest of us have dreamed about doing for months now. He's a rum sort. How did you happen to take him into your club? Well, there's really no place for a chap to go here. When he first arrived, he seemed all right. He's not a British here, but we thought... Help! Help! Don't kill me! Save me! Well, Shorty! Save me! Shorty, what is it? Who's been frightening you? I, I don't know. They wanted to kill me. They had a knife. Don't let them kill me, sir. Please. Now, make sense, Matt. Now, come down and tell us what happened. I went to bed early. You see, Tarzan, sir, these, these kind gentlemen gave me a... A room in the, in the back of the club. Yes, yes, I understand. Go ahead. Well, sir, I went to bed early. I, I locked my door and all my windows, same as I always do. Well, I was dreaming. I, I was dreaming that I wasn't a dwarf anymore. I, I was tall and handsome, like you, Tarzan. Get to the point, Shorty. Oh, yes, Captain. Well, suddenly, maybe I was dreaming. I, I thought I heard my door open. I, I tried to shake the sleep from my eyes, but... Before I knew what hit me, someone was on, on, on top of me. I saw a knife flash, and that's all I remember. I, I guess I fainted. Turn around, Jody. Huh? Turn around. Thank you. Look, Captain Lawrence. 
Why, someone's cut a great hank of hair from the back of Shorty's head. No one wanted to kill him. It was someone's idea of a great joke. Mooney, I suppose. Would he have access to Shorty's room? He lives here at the club, and one key fits all the doors. Mr. Mooney blames me for what happened last night, but I don't think I... Mr. Lawrence, I think perhaps you'd better take me to the jail until it's time for my trial. Because the next time I tangle with Mr. Mooney, I may not stop short of murder. But once again, the calm voice of Captain Lawrence prevailed upon Tarzan, and he remained at the club, sworn to remain a voluntary prisoner until the assault case came to trial. Captain Lawrence tried to use his influence to gain a speedy trial, but in equatorial countries, no one is in a great hurry, and the days dragged on. Oh, oh, good morning, Tarzan, sir. Good morning, Shorty. Members all gone? Yes, sir. I, I just finished serving Mr. Mooney's breakfast, sir. He, he was the last one. You just missed him. I waited until I thought everyone would be gone. What can I fix for your breakfast, sir? Some eggs, maybe? I got some nice fresh ones a native just brought around. Shorty, where did that come from? <laughs> what, sir? That, that small figure behind you on the back bar, that tiny doll dressed like we're dressed. Uh, I never saw it before. It wasn't there when I, when I, when I polished the glasses earlier. But... Looks like me, sir. Did you leave the room while Mr. Mooney was here? I went to the kitchen to get him some more coffee. Another of his jokes, I guess. Look, look, sir. That's my hair on this little figure. I I know what it is now. It's a native voodoo. That's what someone wants you to think, I guess. That's what it is. They have to use the hair of, of the person it's supposed to be. It's what Mr. What Mr. Mooney calls an, an effigy, sir. And that pin that stuck through it. You know what that means? Oh, what does it mean? It means that I'm going to die. That's what it means. It's Congo magic. And who told you about this Congo magic? Mr. Mooney told me. Call it a blasted shame. Yes. Scaring the living daylight out of poor Shorty. Oh, yeah, but I say, uh, where's Mooney now? I don't know. He's notified that the rest of us to be here. Oh? Perhaps he won't show up at all. He's not the first blustering coward I've encountered. Well, that's good. I say, there's someone ringing the doorbell. Who would it be at this hour? Well, the members all have keys. Shall I go? No. Shorty's in the hall. He just manages to reach the door now. He seems to just manage everything. He's all right. <laughs> cheerio! Hello, cheerio! <laughs> you know, I'm getting to sound just like the rest of you, huh? <laughs> say, Mooney, was that you ringing the doorbell? Oh, yeah, yeah, what about it? You might save Shorty the trouble of running to the door for you. Well, it just so happens that I lost my key a couple of nights ago. You what? I lost my key. <laughs> it is going to hurt Shorty to answer the bell a couple of times until I get a chance to have a new one made. If you really did lose your key, maybe I've come to some wrong conclusions. Yeah, about what? About this. A voodoo doll. Dressed like a club steward. Hmm. Where'd it come from? That's what I was going to ask you, Mr. Mooney. Well, I wouldn't know. I thought you might. It was left on Shorty's bar with a pin stuck through it. Well, now, wait wait a minute. I, I don't know who did it. The effigy is decorated with hair someone took from Shorty's scalp. Yeah? When he told me you had spun tales of native voodoo to him, I thought perhaps... Wait you... a minute. For crying out loud, I wouldn't do a thing like that. I know what voodoo means in Africa. Well, maybe I go in for a practical joke once in a while, but... I wouldn't do that to the poor little son of a gun. I... I believe you. You speak with a tone of honesty. But what could the natives have against an inconspicuous white dwarf? Do you suppose that steward I turned down might have stayed in Africa? And uh, be holding a grudge against Shorty, figuring he's latched onto the job that should have been his, you mean? That's it. That's exactly what's happened. He's learned about this Congo magic and he's... Watch out! 
That's a dart. Someone threw a dart right through that open window over there. Didn't Miss Tarzan's head by more than an inch. Tarzan, shall we go out and have a look and go out in the street and see who did that? I can't join you. I, I have promised not to leave the building. Oh, it wouldn't do any good anyway. By this time, a native who threw it could be lost in a crowd of a hundred natives. That's our big disciplinarian problem here. I'd like to examine that dart. Perhaps I can tell by its design what tribe of natives. And watch out. There's a big spider on the wall right by the dart. Oh, this blasted country's infested with the dart. Look. Huh? The spider grazed the dart with its leg and then fell to the ground. Hey. Well, that spider's dead. And the dart is a poison one. And only the jungle people know of such virulent poisons. Only, we apologize for everything we suspected you of. Oh, that's all right, that's all right. I guess the dart clears that rejected steward also, huh? But Shorty is not even in the room. If natives were after Shorty for some reason, why should they fire a Tarzan? The answers to our questions remain with him who shot the dart. And by this time, he's on his way to his jungle home. Well, what are we waiting for, then? Come on, let's follow him. I am not permitted to leave Port Zarota. I have a court case pending against me. Oh, but this is serious. Uh, I'll withdraw the charges. Good. Good. We'll collect what we need for a small safari, and we shall leave tonight. Uh. But I warn you, the people who resort to poison darts shot through a blowgun from ambush... We'll spare no efforts to see that our safari ends in disaster. We'll return with the exciting conclusion of Congo Magic in just a moment. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. By midnight, the materials for the safari had been rounded up, and the men who were about to leave on the dangerous mission stood outside the clubhouse, ready to take their departure. I'm sorry I can't be going with you, Tarzan, but my official duties keep me here. Oh, I understand, Captain Lawrence. We shall miss you, but I think we can manage. I'd still keep a weather eye on Mooney. I don't trust him. I think he's all right, but my weather eye is always open. Well, then I'm all set to go. Oh, there you are, Tarzan. <laughs> I hardly recognized you in those jungle talks. I have no need of civilization's clothes where we're going. Uh, uh, where are we going? To the pygmy country, about two days' march from here. Oh, then you think it was the pygmies, Tarzan? Oh, I'm reasonably sure of it. I found the impression of a box under the window. That a man of ordinary stature would have had no need to stand on anything to reach through that window. The blowgun is their weapon. And, and one thing more. Yeah? In looking for bearers for a safari, I found that every pygmy in this city has suddenly disappeared. What? Yes, it's true. This is mixed up with something bigger than any of us understands. <laughs> Very good time, sir. It's the head man leading the safari. I think his pack is too heavy. Oh, it's bulky, but it shouldn't weigh very much. Well, that's one I packed myself. Well, there's some reason for his slow pace. Yeah. Manyapara! Manyapara, come. You want to make talk, Tarzan? Yes. We've been marching now for several hours, yet we've covered little distance. Why do you set such a slow pace? Pack, Manyapara, carry. Much heavy. Oh, nonsense. I'm carrying the pack as heavy as that myself. Just a minute, Mooney. Yeah. Manyapara, take the pack off. Let me feel it. Uh. <sighs> 
There. Now Tarzan C is heavy. Yes, it is heavy. It's very heavy. Is this some trick, Mooney? Well, if it is a trick, it's not mine. I told you I packed it myself. All, All right, right, I'll open it and see what's inside. Come on, para. Loosen out of strap. Okay, now. Throw that flap back. Shorty! Shorty! What in the world made you hide inside that please, flap? Please, please, sir. I, I knew you wouldn't take me along if I asked. No one ever thinks I can do the work of a, a full-grown man. But this is my fight, sir. I'm the one they want to kill. It's... It's my duty to come along. <laughs> Can you beat that? Please, please don't send me back, Tarzan. It's, it's my one chance to, to prove that I'm a and I'm a real man. I shall not send you back, Shorty. You shall have a chance to prove that you are the equal of any man, regardless of size. And so the safari plunged on. Tarzan, Mooney, Shorty, and the native porters and bearers. But as the second day's march drew to a close, and the land of the pygmies drew near, a strange silence fell in the jungle. The natives glanced nervously over their shoulders as they walked, and Mooney and Shorty watched Tarzan with apprehensive eyes. What does it mean? The silence? Yeah. It means there's a natural barrier protecting their village, or that they have some special plan for their attack. Maybe. Maybe they're around us now. Waiting in the trees until we get a good shot at us. No, no, no. The wind is favorable, and I've not caught their scent. Well, what can we do if they attack us with those blowguns? Well, their range with that weapon is limited. We must be careful lest they draw close enough to use them before we're aware of their presence, though. Yeah. Sure spooky walking along this trail. Those steep palisades on each side, we wouldn't have a chance if they'd... Oh, tried. this is the reason they've had no need to attack us before this. Yeah. A river. It's, it's wide, too. How can we cross it? Well, I think I could swim across. Perhaps it'd be best if I went ahead alone, though. No, no, Tarzan. You promised me I could help. That I'd have a chance to... to prove myself a man. So I did. Well, we'll have to build a raft, I guess. Tarzan! Tarzan! We find raft hidden in trees. Well, that's a break. Gee, it sure is. It's a real break. Perhaps this good fortune is not an accident. And we have no time for questioning our luck. We will board the raft and hope that we may reach the other side without incident. Push with your pole as hard as you can. Uh, yeah. The sooner we reach the shelter of the trees on the other side, the better off we'll be. We go back later on other bearers. You can bring as many as this small raft will carry on the next trip. Look, look, Tarzan. War canoes from behind the tall grass. Hold hard, men. Sure is our only hope. They, they can't reach us from where they are with their blowguns, can they? I don't think so. But the pygmies are pretty good marksmen with those short bows they carry. They're, they're gaining on us, Tarzan. Hey, wait, look. Look, another canoe from the shore, right, right where we're headed. Yes. That one seems to have their chief and their medicine man in there. Hey, they're firing their arrows. They'll get... Tarzan, watch out. There's a hoop. Oh, Shorty. He's badly hurt. He jumped right in front of him. I know. The arrow would have struck me if he hadn't jumped in his path. Mooney, you'll have to care for Shorty. All right. Man, you brother, pull as best you can for yourself. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where are you going? I'm going over the side. Our only hope lies in my ability to swim underwater. Can't... Can you... See, Tarzan? No, no, Shorty. All I can see is their war canoes drawn closer. I keep pulling, Buona? Yes, yes. Keep heading for shore. There's only one canoe in that direction. One of the big shots. And they're not shooting at us. Hey, hey look, look! Tarzan's climbing the chief's canoe. Don't 
tell me what's happening. All right, Shorty. Tarzan's throwing three or four of them overboard. Oh, wait, he, he's got his knife at the chief's back. He's, yeah? He's forcing him to give some sort of order. He's He might die. want to. Hey, what's that chief saying? He tell them stop shooting. Not hurt white man. Oh. Oh, Shorty, you're bleeding pretty badly. If we we didn't bring the medical supplies on this trip. There just wasn't room. I, I know. Hey, what's he saying now? Tell everyone, come to him right away. Doesn't still has knife against his back. Hold Machawi also. Uh, Machawi? Which doctor? He's one with better headless. Oh. Well, come on, let's join the party. Which is the Tarzan has the upper hand, at least for the moment. Men, put down all weapons. Stop fighting. What more you want? I want to know why your men fired at Shorty. Over there, in the city of Port Zarota, and why we've been attacked here. I tell. We try kill dwarf, so we get magic. Shorty's magic? Wait, wait, we'll find out what it's all about. <laughs> what magic do you think the white dwarf has? He dwarf, one minute, next minute, a giant. Has secret pygmy want. They make themselves big when enemy come. Oh, you are mistaken, Chief. Shorty has no secret for making himself into a giant. Has magic. One hour man in town look through window many days. See small man in black trousers, white jacket. One minute dwarf, next minute giant. Oh, I see. Huh? Oh, what do you see, Tarzan? Darn if I can make it out. Natives staring through the window of the club saw Shorty in his steward's outfit. Later they saw me dressed in the same kind of uniform. To them, we were one man. To them, it was magic. Well, what do you know? <laughs> That'd be funny if it wasn't so sad. Is there someone here who saw this magic? Manupa here. See it? This man? Manupa. Do you see the dwarf lying on the ground over there? Do you? Take a good look at him. Now, look at me. Can you not see that he was the small man in dark trousers and white jacket and that I was the large man in the same kind of clothing? Is true. So was not voodoo. We sorry. Give no more trouble. Tarzan! Tarzan! Why am I Shorty. He died. Oh. oh, Shorty. Oh, Shorty, no, you can't die. You saved my life and I'm going to save yours, Shorty. I'm, I'm not Shorty. I, I'm Arnold. Arnold, like my mother named me, I'm, I'm not shorty. I'm tall, tall and handsome. I'm a hero. I, I saved a man's life. I'm a hero. I, I proved that I was a, a real man. As much of a man as... Well, he's dead. Well, anyway, he died with a smile on his face. Yes. For in his last moments, he was no longer a dwarf and a misfit. He was a member of a jungle safari. He'd taken part in a savage battle. And he'd saved a life. And in his mind's eye, he was tall and handsome. This is the magic of the Congo. We'll return with a hint about our next story of Tarzan in just a moment. A conservative English barrister comes to Africa to persuade Tarzan to forsake the jungle and come to England. A cultured American woman arrives on the dark continent with her charming daughter on a trip around the world. A native potentate returns home. They are all ordinary people until they fall victim of the jungle heat which is the title of our next story of 
Tarzan. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Vassar. This is a Commodore production. and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of jungle heat. The ocean liner, African pride, would dock at Mombasa the next day. But so far, the dignified-looking woman with a pretty daughter had spoken to no one aboard. She was too wrapped up in her great problem. And the gray-haired gentleman who occupied the deck chair next to hers did not intrude on her privacy. His mind was well occupied with the problem, too. They might never have spoken if a rough sea had not suddenly caused the deck to heave, sending the gentleman's teacup flying. I say, I'm dreadfully sorry. I hope none of the tea landed on you. Oh, it doesn't matter. But of course it matters. I'll be happy to have it cleaned when we land, provided they have a cleaning establishment in a town like Mombasa, Africa... You don't care for Africa? I should say not. I was there once as a young man. Beastly place. Then why are you returning? Business. Business I'd give a pretty penny to be clear of. It's rather a complicated matter. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pry. Not at all. I volunteered the information. It's rather an interesting story, as a matter of fact. A certain Lord Greystoke and his wife, the Lady Alice, were marooned in Africa many years ago. Unable to find their way back to civilization, they built a cabin, settled down, and had a child in the heart of the jungle. I 
I remember reading something about it. Quite. It received a great deal of notoriety, especially when the whole story came out years later. It seems a band of savage apes killed Lord and Lady Greystoke, took the baby and raised it. He spent most of his life in the African jungles, but nevertheless, he is the heir to the Greystoke title and the family fortune. How lucky for him. I hope I can make him realize it. My purpose in going to Africa is to persuade him to return to England with me and take his rightful place in British society. You see, I've recently been appointed solicitor for his late father's estate. Then you're a lawyer. To an American, a lawyer. To a Britisher, a solicitor. Uh, forgive me for having overlooked the social amenities. My card, madam. Hugh Hutchins, Esquire. Solicitor. Brook Street, Mayfair. Quite. I'm Louise Wells, and as you surmise, I'm an American. My daughter and I are taking a trip around the world. I've noticed your daughter extremely attractive, girl. She can't be much of a sailor, though. She hardly pokes her nose out of your cabin. She's being a martyr. I brought her on this trip against her will, and she's getting even with me by refusing to be civil to anyone. She resents your having taken her from the man she fancies herself in love with? Mr. Hutchins. It's quite all right, really. We solicitors, lawyers, are like family doctors. But you needn't talk about it if you'd rather not, Mrs. Webb. I think I would like to talk about it. You don't know how terrible it is to have no one to turn to. You see, Mr. Hutchins, I'm a widow. Yes. My husband was in the brewery business. Oh, he made a great deal of money. I've seen to it that Carol has every advantage of education and travel and, well, you know. And now she wants to throw herself away on a young man who hasn't a penny. And she's entitled to the best. She's very lovely. Well, I've always thought so. And I'm sure it's not just parental pride. Why, wherever we've gone, there have been dozens of eligible men begging for dates. I'm not surprised. Have you seen that Oriental potentate who's on board? I haven't seen him, but I've certainly heard the infernal racket coming from his suite. He's got his own native orchestra aboard. The captain told me about him. His name's Pasha Kamar Benzeda Bey, and he's on his way home. He spends half each year in Europe. He caught a glimpse of Carol one day, and he begged the ship's captain to introduce him to her. And she refused for a flight. They say he's a handsome devil, too. Oh, nothing makes any difference. She won't have anything to do with any of the men who admire her. She may change her mind if she sees one who appeals to her. I do hope it's the right one this time. I suppose you'd like one with a title, a fortune, and perhaps a villa on the Riviera? <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Well, I wish you luck, Mrs. Well. And I wish you luck. I hope you're successful in getting your English lord to quit the jungle in favor of Mayfair. Oh, I'm not worried. I'll be gentle and persuasive at first, but... If that doesn't work, I'm not without ingenuity. We'll return to our story of Tarzan in just a moment. from the port where the African pride was docking, Tarzan crouched motionlessly in the crotch of a tree. From the fetid swampland, he had caught the scent of Gimba, the crocodile, and that of man. He swung rapidly from tree to tree until he had reached the swamp's edge, but he was too late. Over a hundred yards from him lay an exhausted man who grasped in vain for a hole on a slime-covered rock, and the crocodile was only a few feet from its intended victim. There was little chance that Tarzan could kill the reptile from such a distance, but he fitted a metal-tipped arrow to his bowstring, drew the shaft back with all the power at his command, and released the arrow. The crocodile leaped into the air, then fell back, dead. Now, to get that poor creature out of that foul quagmire. I've come to save you. Please, please, 
speak English. Yes, but it's best to hold your tongue and save your strength. I'll carry you to a dry place. I thought you were some sort of a savage. Don't look like any civilized man. <laughs> it's unfortunate that there are no mirrors here in the jungle. You must have a week's growth of beard on your face, your clothes are torn and filthy, and your body is scratched from thorns and burnt from the equatorial sun. It's been terrible. The animals in the swamps and the heat. There's a, a nice soft bed of moss. I'll put you down. There you are. Oh, thanks. That was quite a shot you made. I was lucky. I didn't think I could pierce the crocodile's tough hide from that distance. Tell me, where are your bearers in the sky? I, I couldn't afford to hire any. You came into the jungle alone? Why? I spent all my money for passage on a tramp steamer that landed in Benguela. I thought maybe I could reach Mombasa on foot. I have to get there. Then you must have an extremely important mission in Mombasa to take such a risk. I, I suppose I'm a fool. A mission is hopeless anyway. You want to tell me about it? I suppose so. In the first place, I'm in love. Ah, the reason for much happiness. And an equal amount of suffering. I suppose so. Well, anyway, Carol's mother didn't approve of me. She took her on a trip around the world, kept my letters from her, saw to it that she didn't have a chance to write me. But Carol managed to sneak a card to me from the last place they stopped. She said if I could meet her in Mombasa, she'd run away from her mother and we could be married. <laughs> you sound like an American. Both your speech and your foolhardy bravery in coming into the jungle alone proclaim your nationality. Yes, I am an American, but I guess my foolhardy bravery has been wasted. By this time, Carol and her mother are in Mombasa, and by the time I can get there, they... You're in no condition to travel now. I, I shall take you to my seacoast cabin and nurse you back to health. When you're fit again, I shall try to help you plan your next move. Tarzan carried the young man through the sweltering jungle. And almost at the same time, the heat had begun to make a change in Hugh Hutchins, Esquire, the ordinarily imperturbable British solicitor. He strolled back and forth in a small heat-drenched hotel room in Mombasa. Africa. Why he has to live in this miserable country, I'll never know. Well, it's about time. Good afternoon, Mr. Hutchins. I'm Mr. Fitzhugh, the manager of the hotel. You sent for me? I certainly did. Come in. Yes, of course. I do hope you're finding everything satisfactory. I am finding everything most unsatisfactory. In the first place, I want that infernal music stopped. I'm afraid that's quite impossible. It comes from the suite of the Pasha Ben Zeda Bey. I might have known. Uh, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about the music. But you see, when the Pasha stopped at Mombasa, he occupies a whole floor in the hotel. He's one of the richest and most powerful men in Africa. If there's anything else I can do? I don't suppose there's anything you can do about this infernal heat. We are hoping for some sort of air conditioning unit in a few years. Well, I can't wait a few years for an air conditioning unit, nor to find the man I've come to Africa for. If I can be of any assistance? Perhaps you can. His name is John Clayton, Lord Greystoke. The only address I have is Africa. <laughs> it's quite an address. But it so happens that Lord Greystoke is known to practically everyone, from Cape Town to Cairo. Here he's called Tarzan. So he still uses that ridiculous name. Ridiculous? It doesn't matter. Uh, could you have a letter delivered to him for me? Perhaps, but it wouldn't do any good, Mr. Hutchins. He emerges from the jungle only to help those in great trouble. Well, I might... No, I'll go to him. Can you secure a guide for me? Of course. Consider yourself practically at his doorstep now.
How much farther do we have to go through this miserable jungle? Reach Tarzan Seacoast cabin soon. Ponya people say he's there now. Well, I certainly hope so. This infernal heat is quite unbearable. This hot time here, not always so hot. How anyone in his right mind could choose the jungle in preference to a country place in Sussex is more than I can figure. Look, the explanation is really quite simple. Why? Where did you come from? From the tree above you. No one draws this close to my cabin without detection. Here's Tarzan. You're Lord Greystoke? As the native said, I am Tarzan. But I mean rarely. You are John Clayton, son of the late Lord and Lady Greystoke? Yes. Allow me to present my card. Hugh Hutchins, solicitor, Brook Street, Mayfair, London, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, is there somewhere we could talk? My cabin is being occupied by a man suffering from exhaustion, but it's highly unlikely that the panthers and lions will disturb us here. Lord Greystoke, I've come thousands of miles to persuade you to give up this primordial life and return to London. Why? The solicitor who previously managed your late father's affairs passed away a short time ago, and I've recently taken over his duties. I found a vast fortune just lying useless. Well, that is wrong. Go ahead, use it. What? Feed the poor. Take care of the sick. Build homes for the homeless. But there are government agencies to handle such matters. Then send the money here. We have many poor who are not taken care of by the government. That's quite out of the question. The Bank of England would never approve the use of such a sum of money for that purpose. Really, Lord Greystoke, you must return. I shall have to be quite firm about it. Mr. Hutchins, how much do you earn as solicitor of my... Uh... My fortune. Very little, while it remains so completely inactive. I see. But that isn't the point. The crux of the matter is that it's criminal for a titled English gentleman to dress and live like a savage. Mr. Hutchins, I remain here through choice. I have visited England, and I found much about it to my liking, but my heart is here in the jungle. But really, Lord Grace. I would suggest that you return home as soon as possible. Goodbye. Tarzan, go. Into the trees like one of those apes who raised him. What in the name of heaven was that? That Tarzan, why? <laughs> we go back to Mombasa now? Yes, back to Mombasa. Through this crawling jungle, through this grueling heat. But I'll figure out a way to make Tarzan leave the jungle. Somehow or other, I'll make him change his tune. <laughs> Exciting conclusion of Jungle Heat in just a moment. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here. Uh -huh. It's the Loop Crate subscription box, yeah, with exclusive loop on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, Daddy. <laughs> From the original Loop Crate, the Loop Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming Video Game Box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! To the Loot Crate Box! What's with kids today, huh? Wowzers! With crates starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are boxes just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash Loot Crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash Loot Crate. Great Scott! Snap into a Lucre, You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media.
From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. The cities, as well as the jungle, labored under the great pall of tropical heat. It was responsible, in part, for Hugh Hutchins' unreasonable determination to take Tarzan from the jungle. It had a great deal to do with the Pasha Kamar Benzeda Bey's reluctance to start his journey into the interior. And it affected the temper of Mrs. Louise Wells. There were some things, however, for which the heat was blamed, and for which it was not responsible. It's just the heat that's got you down, Carol. The house physician says there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. I don't feel up to traveling, Mother. We'll just have to stay in Mombasa until I feel better. But we've already missed two boats. Are we going to spend the rest of our lives in Africa? Oh, I don't know. I don't care much. No, I suppose you don't. You don't care about anything but hearing from Bob Hale. Has there been some message from him? Message? From Bob? Well, we aren't likely to hear from him. Oh, no, no, I guess not. I don't know what I was thinking of. But we did have another message from the Pasha. He's still very anxious to meet you. Yes, Mother, I know. Uh, I think if you don't mind, I'll take another little nap. Well, I'm not going to do my sightseeing through a hotel window. I'm going to visit some of those wonderful native stalls. Have a good time, Mother. Perhaps in a few days, I'll... Oh, of all the ungrateful girls, I'd give up my life for her, and a she... A thousand just... pardons, Mother of Beauty. Why, Pasha, come on. What a pleasant surprise to bump into you. Our meeting, gracious one, is no accident. I have waited some hours to encounter you once again. Oh, how flattering. I, I hope I haven't kept you waiting too long. No wait, however long, would be too great for the pleasure I have anticipated. Oh? I come to you with a token I wish you to deliver to the goddess of beauty, your estimable daughter. A little gift for Carol. How sweet. You will accept the token? Why, of course. I think the giving of little presents is a lovely custom. The men in America are inclined to forget how much women appreciate gifts. In your hand, I place the gift. So, we will meet before the new moon has come to discuss the arrangements. Until then, may Allah guard well, my white pearl. Oh, but wait! Pasha! Just a minute! Is something wrong, Mrs. Wells? Oh, Mr. Hutchins, I, well, I thought you'd gone into the jungle. I got back last night. You seem upset. I am. I was just talking to that Pasha fellow, and he said he had a gift for Carol, and he handed it to me. And by the time I glanced down at it, he was gone. Look, look what he gave me. An emerald. The largest one I've ever seen. Must be worth a fabulous fortune. And he said such strange things about, about discussing arrangements and, and the new moon. It's and, clear and, that the jewel is his payment for Carol. It's his bride. Oh, dear. But, of course, he is a titled gentleman. Royalty, even. And you yourself said he had a fortune. And several hundred other wives. Oh. Oh, I'll give the jewel right back. Why, I'll go to his suite and... And, and, and probably I'll, be the well, cause of an international incident. Well, no, Mrs. Wells, such matters are not that easily settled in Africa. Well, what can I do? Put matters in my hands, my dear Mrs. Wells. I am a solicitor, you know. Oh, of course. Well, I'll pay you any fee you name if you get me out of this. I want no money. But there is a little favor that you could do for me. It concerns Tarzan. Who? Lord Greystoke. I want you to write him a letter. Tell him that Carol is in great danger... Uh, uh, perhaps that is not much of an exaggeration now. Write that you are two women alone in Africa, and from what you have heard of him, you are sure he's the only one who can save your daughter. And then he'll come here. He'll see Carol, 
And he'll be smitten as the others. Perhaps. <laughs> he has a title, too. And a fortune. And he comes from a fine old English family. Isn't that what you said, Mr. Hutchins? Uh, quite. You'll make no mistake in writing the letter. Oh, of course I'll write it. I'll write anything you tell me to. Yes, Bob. I thought I'd find you still asleep. I heard all that shouting and confusion outside a few minutes ago. Tried to reach the window to see what was happening, but I couldn't quite make it. Uh, some Punya warriors arrived with a letter for me. The coming of a Barua in the jungle is quite an event. I don't wonder if I were the native mailman. I, I think it was quite an event if I managed to deliver a letter here. It is dangerous even for those who know the jungle well. And that is why I am angry. Oh? A week ago... While you were hovering between life and death, a gentleman came into the jungle to persuade me to give up my life here and go to England. I refused. And now he sends a letter designed to bring me as far as Mombasa, the first leg of the journey to England. Well, if he couldn't persuade you in person, how could he expect the letter to do the trick? Oh, the letter doesn't bear his signature, of course, but the ruse is obvious. Listen to this. My dear Tarzan, you do not know me since I am an American woman, Mrs. Louise Wells, Mrs. Wells. who has only recently arrived in Africa. But having appealed to the native police and many others, I am informed that you are the only man in the world who can help me in the present situation, which involves the safety and perhaps the very life of my daughter, Carol. Carol. Please come at once to Mombasa. I am at the Grand Hotel, and I await your arrival. Ah, a melodramatic letter that Hutchins has dictated in the hope that I be brought... Oh, Tarzan, that's Mrs. Wells, Carol's mother, my Carol, and she's in danger. I doubt that she's in danger, Bob. But since the letter refers to your Carol... I shall go to Mombasa. I'm going with you. Oh, you couldn't drag yourself as far as the window a moment ago. How do you propose to travel to Mombasa? I'll make it. I have to. I'll make a bargain with you, Bob. You remain here. There are enough provisions to keep you until my return. I said, I said I'd make a bargain with you. You remain here without further foolish arguments. And when I return, I shall bring your Carol with me. Nothing. The officials blame you for having accepted the jewel. They act as though the pasha was well within his rights in abducting Carol. Frankly, I don't know what to do. Perhaps if you're Lord Greystoke... Yes, but... maybe perhaps Tarzan can help. If only the letter brings him. The letter did bring but, me, Mr. Hutchins. Tarzan, the, the way you pounce out of nowhere, really. I hardly pounced. I've been standing here for several minutes. I wish to learn if the letter was a ruse. Apparently it was mainly false when it was written, but it has come true. Carol is in danger. Will you help us, Tarzan? You mean... You mean you're asking help from this naked savage? This is Lord Greystoke, Mrs. Wells. Mrs. Wells, despite your rudeness, I shall help you. Come with me, both of you. Where are you taking us? The caravan of the Pasha moves slowly because of its great size and because of the many women in the entourage. We can easily overtake it within a few hours. But how? I shall engage the services of three fleet camels. But, but I don't know how to ride a camel. You will know by the time our journey is over. They have not all retired for the night yet, Mrs. Wells. Lower your voice, please. Well, I never... It wouldn't be well for them to hear us, Mrs. Wells. Now then, Tarzan, your plan of campaign. It will require exact timing and bravery. Mrs. Wells, you will walk from the brush first. And you will go directly to the large bayet at the center of the camp. And do not say a word to the sentries. Show them the signet jewel and continue to walk until you are face to face with the pressure. 
But if someone does stop me... You'll have to gamble that the jewel will serve as an open sesame. I'm counting on you to create considerable consternation in the center of the camp. Oh, Mr. Hutchins? Yes, sir. As soon as you see Mrs. Wells hand the jewel to the Pasha or disappear into the bayonet, you will proceed to the makeshift corral at the far end of the encampment, where their animals are tethered. Yes. You will fire your gun into the air until the magazine is empty. By that time, the animals should take care of the confusion at that end of the camp. And then get back to our tethered animals here, if you can. And if I cannot, I shall have given my life in the service of a fine mother and a gracious lady. Thank you, Mr. Hutchins. When I hear the animals stampeding, I shall take care of the far end of the caravan, for surely Carol must be held in the Pasha's harem, which is quartered there. And if the plan fails... We shall all pay with our lives. The sight of a middle-aged woman calmly walking up to the bed of the Pasha threw the potentate sentries into a complete quandary. Suddenly the sound of shots and a mad stampede of the caravan's camels drew their attention elsewhere. Before they had subdued the animals, a raid on the harem confused them still further. Orders were shouted madly. But the Pasha's followers milled about in hopeless confusion. And in the center, clutching his scimitar in hopeless futility, stood the Pasha Kamar Ben Zeda Bey. He watched three camels disappearing into the brush. They carried a bronze giant, a city guard white man, the Pasha's white curl, and the pearl's now disheveled mother. But this is a shack in the jungle. You haven't led us back to Mombasa. I must have taken a wrong turn. Mother, there's no sense in being upset. This man did save us. For a worse fate, I dare say. Oh, you do something. What can I do, my dear? In England, he is a lord. Not that I have any hopes of taking him back now, but here he's undisputed monarch. Well, if he and the Pasha are examples of nobility, I've been wrong all along. Carol, I apologize. If Bob were here, I'd, I'd literally push you into his arms. That sounds like a proper cue for me to open the door to my cabin. So what in the world's going... Carol! Bob! Oh, darling! Bob, I'm so glad to see you. You, aren't they? they aren't they perfect together? Yes, they are. Well, Bob, how'd you get here? What's happened? Oh, a great deal since I chucked my job on Follows in Africa. The most exciting part was when Tarzan saved my life with a bow and arrow. <laughs> and it was a fairly good shot. But I had no idea that in using that noble weapon, I was taking the place of Dan Cupid. In just a moment, a preview of our next story of Tarzan. The peace of the world depended on getting the supplies across the great African jungle. It was imperative that they be carried from Dakar to Suez without loss. And yet, each time a new shipment was received at Suez, it was found that guns, ammunition, food supplies, and other valuable equipment were missing. Drama runs high in our next story, Jungle Hijackers. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media.
From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time. Transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of jungle hijackers. Once the small plateau had been covered by a mass of heavy jungle growth, but now it was a rock-strewn clearing that bore a variety of drab-colored buildings. Here, near the native village of El Bodet, halfway between Dakar and Suez, lay the headquarters of the Joint Transportation Command, West African Sector. Ordinarily a quiet, inactive post, today it bristled with activity. The top brass had come unexpectedly. They had tumbled out of their desert-soiled cars, stormed into Major Haybrook's office, remained there but a short time, and then departed in a cloud of gasoline fuel. But they had remained long enough to turn everything upside down. I see. Pardon me, Simon. Could you tell me if I'm in the right building? I'm looking for Major Haybrook. His office is right down the hall. If you'll state your business... Well, I'm uh... Captain Lawrence of the governmental police. The Major just sent a native runner into the village for me. Yes, sir. He left word that if you came, we were to bring you right in. Will you follow me, sir? Oh, certainly. I say, is it always so noisy around here? Not usually, sir. Oh, you don't have to serve me. My rank as captain in the governmental police is about the equivalent of a private fourth class in your army, according to Major Haybrook. He must have changed his opinion, sir. Major Haybrook never wastes ammunition on small targets, and from the sound of things in his office, he's got his heavy artillery all ready for use, sir. Oh, I see. This is his office right here. Oh, thank you. And thanks for the warning, sir. I'll have my guard up. Here's Captain Lawrence, sir. Thank you, Private. That'll be all. Yes, sir. Come in, Captain Lawrence. Sorry to have kept you waiting. You don't look sorry. For the love of Mike, close the door and come over here. Just as soon as the native runner reached the village, I left... Now, let's just stow all the folder all, Lawrence. The fact of the matter is, I'm on the spot. Sit down. Anything I can do to cooperate? You're doggone right you'll cooperate. You know the job my outfit has. Well, as I understand it... Your mission is to transport food, ammunition, and other army supplies from Dakar to Suez. Right. And we've taken every precaution to see that they're delivered in proper condition. The bales have twice as much padding as called for in specifications, and they're wrapped with special quality burlap. Good idea. That's pretty rough jungle to go through. Right. And the things that come in crates have double thicknesses of wood to protect them. Well, then. But after all these safeguards against the elements, we find it's not the heat or the rain or the rough terrain that's bothering us, but plain, unadulterated robbery. Robbery? From an army transport? For the love of Mike, yes. That's what I've been saying. Robbery, stealing, hijacking. Do you understand? Yes, sir. You could give me a few details to go on, though. I'll give you all the details before you leave. But get this straight. The top brass is after my scalp. They figure if the stuff doesn't get to Suez, it can invite trouble there. Well, Suez has always been refused to like the dynamite. For the love of Mike, quit interrupting. Sorry, sir. And you're going to be a whole lot sorrier if this stealing isn't stopped. If it was some fault of my officers or enlisted men, it'd be up to me. But this is a civil matter. These hijackers are the subjects of your government. And I can promise you, Captain Lawrence, that unless your governmental police puts a halt to this robbery at once, I'll see to it personally that you're shipped back to jolly old England. Yeah, 
Yes, Tarzan, he probably does have enough influence to have me sent back to England. In disgrace. Oh, it seems so unfair. You're supposed to comb thousands of miles with a few men at your disposal, and he's unable to catch the thieves with his whole company. Oh, he's pretty short of manpower, too. When you spread a company from Dakar to Suez, there aren't many men left to guard each safari. Oh, perhaps that's true, but why should you have to save his neck? No, there's more than that involved, Tarzan. Perhaps the peace of the world. I'll have to have a go at saving his neck, as you put it. And I'm counting on you to save mine. Well, you have long been my friend, Captain Lawrence. If I can be of help in tracking down the hijackers, I shall be more than happy. Thank you, Tarzan. You know this jungle better than any man alive. And I've been counting on your help. I'll gather my weapons and a few other things I might need, and we'll leave at once. Uh, where do we start? I haven't the foggiest notion. No, no, I mean, where did the hijackers make their last raid? What was the size of their band? And uh, are, are they thought to be natives or whites? Well, you see, that's really the big problem. Thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment and supplies are missing. But no one's seen any thief. There have been no raids. And for all Major Haybrook's men seem to know, the materials might just as well have been spirited away by ghosts. Our story of jungle hijackers will continue in just a moment. Tarzan and Captain Lawrence moved rapidly through the jungle night. Behind them was the great forest that was Tarzan's stronghold. And just ahead, winding its way through the dense jungle growth, was the old elephant trail used by the supply safari. A new shipment was on its way, and Tarzan and Captain Lawrence planned to intercept the caravan somewhere near El Baudet. Although there were no clues to the past robberies, they might be able to prevent new thefts, and perhaps learn something about the robbers who attacked with the stealth and invisibility of ghosts. This should be a long sundown tonight, unless they've run into trouble already. Uh, apparently they've had no trouble. They're ahead of that inflexible schedule Major Haybrook set for them. Ahead of it? How do you make that out? I caught the scent of man some time ago. Now I can hear the sounds of the safari. Well, I hope you're as quick catching the scent of the hijackers. How many soldiers are supposed to accompany the shipment? Well, I can hear them now. The soldiers? Well, not many, I guess. One officer, I believe, and a handful of enlisted men. How can such a small number handle a large cargo? Native porters. Probably best anyway. White men aren't much good at that sort of thing. Drop, drop, to, the, drop to the ground. Someone's shooting at us. From the caravan. They must have spotted us. Go away with the hijackers. I'll find out what they're thinking. of you. Stay where you are. Captain Lawrence? Oh, you're all right, Charles. Yes, yes. Oh, thank heavens. Who's the commander of this outfit? Uh, I am, sir. I'm Lieutenant Stevens. And who are you? I'm Captain Lawrence of the governmental police. Here are my credentials. Yes. Well, they, they look to be in order. But you see, I, I didn't expect to meet you here. Major Haybrook said you'd join us at El Boudet. I thought that's what he said. That's hardly an excuse for firing at us, Lieutenant. Do you shoot at everyone you see in Africa? Well, after what I've been through, I'm not taking any chances. Uh, all you men get back to the wagon. It's customary to challenge someone you want to question. You might have killed Tarzan or me. I'm sorry. I saw you through the trees and I... Say, who is this Tarzan? He's acting as my deputy. But Major Haybrook didn't say anything about deputy. Uh, I thought it best not to mention Tarzan to the Major. He might not have understood about a deputy who refuses to be sworn in and will not wear a uniform. But you can take my word for it, Lieutenant. Tarzan will be of more help to us in stopping a robbery of this caravan than a regiment of regular police. Well, I'm 
I'm afraid it's too late to stop a robbery of this shipment. What? Last night. We stopped for the night at Yeagerstown. As soon as I called a halt, we took inventory. Almost a third of this shipment was gone. And you saw or heard no one at this time either? No, sir. Not a soul. Neither did my men or any of the natives. A third of the shipment? To take that amount of goods would require great wagons or many porters. It would be impossible not to hear either one. I swear there wasn't a sound. And there goes my promotion. I was counting on the pay raise. The Major will have my scalp with all this stuff missing. What is missing? Guns, ammunition, tin meats, powdered eggs, milk, blankets, copper wire, a little of everything, I guess. It's hard to tell exactly with the stuff all wrapped up. Thirty bales and ten crates. That much, I'm sure of. Are uh, any of your bearers missing? No, I thought of that too, but we started with a hundred bearers and we still have a hundred. Which is your head man? I don't know. How can I tell? They all look alike to me. Do you mind if I question them? Well, go ahead. Do anything you want, but please hurry. I've got to get this stuff rolling. This means my promotion for sure. One gazili! One gazili! Who is Manyapara? Naja. Who, Manyapara? Nadio. Mimi Manyapara. And what is your tribe? Manyendi. Manyendi? Are all of the porters of the same tribe? Nadio. All Manyendi. What's he saying? I'm entitled to know. I'm in command here. The uh, headman says they are all members of the Manyendi tribe, and their tribal wealth show that he speaks the truth. But what difference does that make? Yes, Dawson. What possible difference can it make what tribe they belong to? I thought for a moment they might be responsible for the thefts, but the Manyendi are all members of an ancient religious cult that forbids bearing arms or engaging in trade. So, so they couldn't possibly have any use for the guns and ammunition, being forbidden to use them or to sell them. Well, how about the foodstuffs? That's what eliminates suspicion entirely. They're an agricultural people. Their religion forces them to be strict vegetarians. I suppose you suspect me. That's what you've been getting at. Your nervousness is the only thing that makes me at all suspicious of you. But there are some things I should like to discuss with your Major Haybrook. There are a few things I can tell him, too. You'll be sorry you meddled in this. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. How much longer must we remain in this anteroom waiting to see the important Major Haybrook? I don't know why he's holding us up. First, we were told to be here yesterday morning. Then the afternoon. Now we're told we may not be able to see him even today. I can't figure it. There could be one answer. Hmm? What's that? He could be mixed up in these robberies himself. Perhaps between the major and the nervous lieutenant, there's a little marketing of army goods going on. I never thought of that. No, it's ridiculous. If the materials were never shipped at all, the stories of the robberies might be a very good cover-up. But in that case... Why was the lieutenant so nervous, so worried about getting in bed with the major? He might have been worried because he missed us when he took that pot shot. The major may have given instructions to see that your investigation ended in murder. Deputy. We've been waiting a long time to see you, Major Haybrook. Yes, I dare say. There were a few things I wanted to learn first. Lieutenant Stevens was just in my office. He tells me you weren't very successful in stopping a robbery of this shipment. The robbery took place before we joined the safari. So I'm told. I'm also told that you and this deputy managed to sneak up on the caravan as quietly as thieves. Major Haybrook, is this accusation a cover-up for your own activities? For my activities? By the love of Mike, what are you talking about? I doubt that the missing shipments were ever sent. What? And it would be easy enough to trace. A large quantity of army materials could not reach the black markets of our African cities without leaving a trail. I should have thought of that sooner. I thought of it. And I put a man on the job who spent most of his life in Africa. If there's anything being offered on the black market, he can track it down. Well, perhaps I was wrong in jumping to conclusions. 
Maybe I can cooperate with this man you've engaged. Who is he? A former diamond mine owner in Jaegerstown. A gentleman by the name of Martin Vincent. Martin Vincent? You know him, Tarzan? Why, he's one of the greatest scoundrels in the continent. A vicious, unscrupulous man. Major Haybrook, this man knows the schedule of your shipments? Yes, of course. He's the one who secured all the native bearers for me. He's been very useful. More than likely, the information about valuable shipments has been useful to him. Where can we find this man? He maintains offices in Yegastown. Oh, he maintains more than offices. He owns the police of the city, the magistrates, and the courts. To question any of his activities is to make yourself a criminal in Yegastown. And we'd best take a troop with us when we go there. For the love of Mike, of course. No, 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 no. To march into the town with a troop would be to ruin any chances we might have of catching Martin Vincent red-handed. Captain Lawrence, if you're game, we will go to Yegastown alone. <laughs> In just a moment, the exciting conclusion of Jungle Hijackers. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Well, we should be in Jaegerstown by this afternoon. Yes, Martin Vincent's Jaegerstown. He wanted to brand you, did he? Yes, he has a custom of burning a D in the back of those he judges guilty of stealing a diamond from his mind. Hmm. I had come to Yeagerstown to persuade the son of a chief to return to his people. Oh, yes, I do recall the story. The lad had stolen a diamond. From Vincent's mine, yes. We went to the mine together to put it back, but when we were caught in the act, Vincent refused to believe we were not making off with the diamond. We were lucky to escape without his trademark. I guess such inhumane treatment of the natives must have led to his downfall. I got a report just before we left. The mine has been closed. Orders of the government. Has Vincent lost his stranglehold in the city? No, I'm afraid not. He's lost the mine, but according to the report, he's still an all-powerful dictator in Yeagerstown. I wonder... What? Whether I'm still a wanted man there. I have an extra uniform in my pack. It'll be pretty snug on you, but it might serve as an effective disguise. <laughs> All right. I hope I'm not arrested for impersonating an officer. Huh. I'm afraid that is in our greatest danger. So this is the headquarters of Yagerstown's black market. It's the marketplace. You can buy anything from a jewel worth a Raja's fortune to a pickled elephant's tail, guaranteed to cure rheumatism and chase away horned demons. Well, what I'd like to buy is a supply of powdered milk and eggs. Perhaps some tinned meat bearing the army insignia. Yes, it'd be our first real clue. Well, let's stop here. This looks like a likely place. Yes, for a murder. Can I pass as a soldier? <laughs> it's all I can do to keep from saluting every time I glance at you. <laughs> Carry on, Captain Clayton. Right there, old chap. You'd best let me do the bargaining. I'm an old hand at this sort of thing. I said there, shopkeeper. Eh? Uh, we're about to leave on a safari. Uh, we'd like to buy some supplies now. Eh? Uh, we need some foodstuffs that can stand the desert heat and the hardships of the jungle. Tinned meats and perhaps some powdered eggs and milk. Things like that. Alas, I have nothing of that kind. But perhaps you could secure them at the shop of the Three Crescents. Oh, they have such provisions there? Uh, they speak not of it in the marketplace. But I think... 
a gold piece discreetly placed in the hand of the proprietor might loosen his tongue. Ah, thank you for your advice. The shop of the three crests. You will see the symbol upon the doorpost. It is but a few shops away over your left shoulder. Ah, I, I can see it from here. Thank you. Come on, Captain Lawrence. Right you are, Captain Clayton. Nice work. <laughs> Sounds like our crew, all right. The shop of the three crescents. A very shabby place. Mm, it's not much worse than the rest of them. Mm, it seems fairly large. Yes. They got a great many bales and crates in the back. Mm, the front of the store isn't much. You better keep your voice down. That bearded Arab who sits in the doorway may have sharp ears. He's looking at us intently enough. No, shopkeeper said of you. If they think you have one penny to rub against another. Greetings to the noble appendix. Good evening. Your desire to purchase some small article from my humble shop. A gift to send home, perhaps. Some spices. A pound of fine imported tea. Yes, we could do with a spot of tea, uh, but we're leaving on a trip. We'll need more than just tea. Uh, here's a gold piece for you. We have more of them, too. Aha. Perhaps you'd be interested in some tin meat, some powdered milk and eggs, some dehydrated soup. Yes, we would. May we see them? Of course. But follow me into my storeroom. Just lead the way. We'll follow. Uh, I'd best to close the front of my shop first. Lest anyone witness the transaction. Just go ahead. I'll be with you in a moment. Come on, Captain Lawrence. I don't. Just through that back door there. I shall join you directly, Appendix. Yeah, it's better this way. I get a chance to look around before he gets here. Hmm. It's awfully dark in here. There must be a light somewhere. I'll try to find no, it. No, Gentlemen, I see my men properly subdued you, and I trust you're finding your little cell comfortable. If you were not on the other side of these bars, Mr. Vincent, we would do a great deal to lessen your comfort. <laughs> it's life, isn't it? But then you see, this is my reward for giving a better performance than yours. I knew you in a second, Tarzan, despite that police uniform, but my disguise as a storekeeper was perfect. All right, so you took us in. You can't hold us here. There's such a thing as international law. I'm a great respecter of it, but you see, I'm really a hero now. I captured a former diamond thief returning to Jaegerstown disguised as a policeman, impersonating an officer. Oh, so that's your angle. Captain Lawrence is of the governmental police. How can you hold him? Oh, we'll check his credentials, but it may take a long time. <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> You're the swine. Well, if it's any satisfaction, it proves we were on the right track. Vincent is mixed up in the hijacking. We didn't actually see the tin goods. No, they may not be in that shop, but his desire to hold us prisoners proves he has a great deal to hide. I fancy he will check my credentials, yeah. eventually. Then you'll be in trouble for having helped impersonate a police officer. But you are my deputy. I've never been sworn in. All right. Raise your right hand. All right. Repeat after me. I, Tarzan... I, Tarzan... ...swear that I will enforce the law of the colonies... ...swear that I will enforce the law of the colonies... ...and otherwise pursue the duties of a police officer... ...and otherwise pursue the duties of a police officer... ...despite hardships, danger, or threat of death... ...despite hardships, danger, or the threat of death. seems better here on the outside. There's something unhealthy about the air inside of a cell. <laughs> I'm glad my prisoners haven't your strength, Tarzan, or they would all be on the outside. The bars of the cell were not as imposing as the steel of Bolgani's muscles. Bolgani? Oh, the gorilla you killed when you were only a boy. Well, perhaps Vincent won't prove as imposing an enemy as I thought. Oh, is uh, this his house here? Yes, yes, that's his bedroom, directly over the doorway. 
I think the vine that grows up to the window will hold my weight. But I'm lighter than you. Yes, oh, no, you wait here. If uh, someone comes, just whistle to me. I do. Knife is at your throat. Tarzan. Please. Please don't kill me. I was going to. I shall not kill you if you speak truthfully and quickly. Where are the things you stole from the army caravans? I. I didn't steal a thing. I swear. You knew of their theft? Yes. Haybrook told me, but I wouldn't steal stuff like that. It's too tough to get rid of. I see. And why were you so afraid of the investigation Captain Lawrence and I had started? No. No reason. There is a reason. Speak now or be silenced forever. I tell. Major Haybrook engaged me to hire the porters. I get the Magnanis because they were the least civilized. Knew the least about the white man and their weight. Uh, how much did the army pay you for each man? A dollar a day per man. And how much did you pay them? Twenty cents a day. But that isn't bad. They're happy with the wages. And the army's happy with the men I provided. I said I'd supply enough men to do the job, and 200 natives are more than enough. 200? Yes, 200 natives who've never had so much money in their lives. I haven't done anything so wrong. Not according to your likes. Oh, someone's coming. I shall leave now, Vincent. You have accidentally given me the solution to our mystery. What? But your petty robbery of the natives is at an end. And I have a feeling they will see to it that justice is done. Pretty rough country here. Few men have ever come to the land of the Manyende, Major Haybrook. Well, for the love of Mike, I wish you'd tell me why we're coming. It's only a little further, Major Haybrook. You can see the boma of their village just ahead. But you yourself told me that they wouldn't steal the stuff, that the religion kept them from using arms, eating the food, or selling it. That's right. And I verified it when I left you last night and went ahead to their village. I spoke with their chief at some length. Well, I wish that... Oh, we're being received by a welcoming committee here. Jumbo! Jumbo! Jumbo, people of Manyendi. Major... You see anything unusual about these natives? No, except that maybe they're a little cleaner, a little better clothed. In burlap. Burlap that once covered army bales. Those bracelets they wear about their arms and legs. What's heavy copper wire? And for the love of Mike, look at the new huts. Made out of our crates. Tarzan, I thought you told me... Oh, they made off with supplies, all right. A hundred of their men were always with the caravan, acting as porters, guiding the wagons, cutting through the jungle growth. But... Another hundred were constantly taking their places as they darted into the brush at the side of the path with the bales and the crates. What you said? For the love of Mike, but Tarzan. they committed no crime, according to their concept. For they put to their own use only the fruits of the earth, which are sent from heaven. Wood, which comes from trees, burlap from jute. They've tried to grow themselves. And a small amount of copper that comes from the bowels of the earth. Well... The burlap from the bales and the wooden crates don't amount to much. The wire they will return, and the other materials are all safe. I had a talk with them. They will begin transporting it to Suez in the morning. Hmm. Africa. Anything can happen here. Look. Look beyond the huts. What? All of the missing supplies are all untouched. And nothing is damaged or missing. Well, for the love of Mike. <laughs> In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting story of Tarzan. It has walked in many lands, and wherever it casts its shadow, death and fear and wild panic is the rule of the day. 
Bred in poverty and filth, it is nurtured by ignorance, and all men flee before its onslaught. It is known by many names, black pestilence, black death, bubonic plague. Listen to our next story, Tarzan and the Stranger. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!